So we just said, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. By the way, that, that scares the bejeebers out of most people, especially those of us that were raised Catholic. Uh, you've got to understand that Catholic uh, with a small c simply means universal. This creed was made up long before there were any particular churches. And so uh, what we say when we say that, uh, we're saying that we believe that in, er in all of the institutional churches, in all of the particular churches, there are people who profess their faith in Jesus Christ. And that's the church. The church is not the institution. The church is the people who confess their faith in Christ. Now, what is one of the, the basic jobs of that universal church? Was well, to lead people to Jesus if not the basic job of all time. But let me ask you a very, very pertinent and personal question. If somebody said, I, I, could you introduce me to God? Could you lead me to what you Christians call salvation? Could you do that? You know, one of the things that we, one of the things that we find is that Christians are a lot more nervous about this than secular people are. Do you ever notice that? Secular people just want to know, hey, what you got here? What's, tell me the facts. Just give me the stuff. But Christians start twitching and, and get all intimidated by not wanting to impose on other people and, uh, and all of that kind of stuff, when really people just want to know the facts. And so tonight, what we really want to do, I'm stalling as long as I can, Harry, <laughs> there's, there's, some more, there's, there's some more up here because we're going to turn out the lights in a minute. Um, there's some more up here too. I love this. I love this. Tonight, what we really want to do is, is for every person in this sanctuary to know without a doubt how to lead somebody to Jesus Christ in a very sure and certain way. It's a very practical sermon. And so um, we want to give you this, this vision of, of uh, how to do that. But first, we, we kind of want to give you a picture of what we see as maybe the average Christian who has built a life with Christ but doesn't maybe really know how to lead someone else to Christ. Watch this. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know, honey. I, I don't know. He just said he wanted to come by and talk to me. That's all. Well, what was I supposed to say to the guy? Yes! Okay, okay, okay. All right. Okay, we're riding up in the elevator. And he turns to me and he says, Hey, Dan, you're a Christian, right? I mean, right there in the elevator. Well, what was I going to say? I, I, I sort of stammered around a little bit. I said, Yeah, sure, I guess. Um, yes. And he says, Great. Do you mind if I come by the office this morning and chat with you for a few minutes? I mean, what was I going to say to the guy? Yeah, he... He, he wants 2000 by Friday. You do it as your job, pal.
Hiya, Steve. Hi, Dad. Come on in. Thanks. Hey, have a seat. Or, or can't you stay? Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. I cancel all my morning appointments. Yeah, I really wanted to just talk to you for a minute, Stan. Okay, uh, hey. Let's say we run down to the cafeteria and grab a couple of cups of coffee, maybe a bagel, huh? No, thanks. Okay. Yeah, see, Dan, I just, I really wanted to talk to you for a couple of minutes about, uh, I don't know, God. You know, Christianity, that sort of thing. Yeah, sure, that, uh, that's fine. Um, <clears throat> oh! But, you know, I think the best thing for you to do, Steve, is maybe just go to church. I mean, come to, <laughs> come to church. This weekend with me and Jenny. Yeah, we go to a great church out in Longwood, Northland. Oh, it's yeah, about, yeah, I've been there a few times. It's nice. You, yeah. You've been? You've been there? Oh, this is great. This is great. That's great. You've been there. Then I think the best thing for you to do is just go and talk to Joel. Or, 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 or maybe Orlando, even, uh, what's his name, uh, Vernon. Because <laughs> I, 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 I'm not a preacher, I'm, I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm in sales. No. No, I think I need to talk to somebody who isn't a minister. You know, somebody who's a Christian but doesn't do it for a living. Oh. Yeah, you, you see, Margaret, my wife, she's, um, she's been going to this ladies' Bible study uh, with some women at work, and, and she's been going for about four weeks now, and she, but she's really excited about a lot of what she's hearing. Yeah, well, you know, she should be excited. Oh, yeah, and I, I'm glad she's excited. It's, but it's, it's raising a lot of questions for me. Oh, I'm sure you have lots of questions. Well, yeah, I do. I mean, she keeps telling me that we need to become Christians. And right she is. I don't get it. I mean, I know all about Jesus and, and, and dying on the cross and Easter. And, well, I always assumed it was true. I, why do we need to, why does she say we need to become Christians? I, I know all about Christianity. Doesn't that make me a Christian? Ah. Ah. <laughs> ah. Well, uh, uh, technically, um, no. Well, how do I become a Christian? Excuse me? How do I become a Christian? You just said that uh, technically I'm not a Christian, so how do I become one?
you know, get Jesus in your uh, heart. Oh, okay. Right. Great. Can we do that now? What? Get Jesus into my heart. How do I do that? Uh, well, uh, you, you got to pray. Okay. And, um, 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 uh, fellowship, Fel- uh, got, got a fellowship. Uh, that's, that's, that would be important. And, um, um, oh, what? Oh, oh, uh, the Bible, the Bible, you know? I think I've got a Bible somewhere. Uh, uh, oh, yes. Uh, We just we just open the Bible and 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 read a verse. Uh, we'll 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 open the Bible and we'll we'll be given a verse to help me. So we'll just open. Okay, Job. Okay. Job, chapter 19, verse 17. My breath is offensive to my wife. And I am loathsome to my own brother. Okay. Any questions? Okay, well, let's see if we can get it down better than that. All right? If you have your scriptures with you, turn to the first chapter of the Gospel of John, and let's read about, come on in, good, you're here, that's great. Still got lots of folks looking for seats, so if you have some beside you. Let's read about someone who was not written about very extensively, but yet who performed one of the most important functions in scriptural history. Now, this is at the beginning of Jesus' walk on the earth. And John 1.38 says this, And Jesus turned, he's walking, and beheld them following, and he said to them, What do you seek? 
Now, now let, me, let me get the scene for you here. There's a couple of people who are looking to Jesus curiously. And he turns to him and he says, what are you looking for? By the way, that's one of the best questions you can ever ask somebody as you're walking along with them. Just, just ask them, what are you really looking for? They may not be able to answer just right uh, very deeply on the spot as these two you will see weren't. But that plants a seed to really help people go to the deepest question in life. What are you looking for? What's missing? Jesus said, what do you seek? And they said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? They couldn't come up with anything deep. They just said, so where are you going? You know? Now, Jesus said to them, come and you will see. The next important thing to, to remember is just to make yourself available. One of, the, one of the most important things about evangelism, about sharing Christ, is that you're available. That you let people come along with you. Come along. Just hang out. Come, he says, and you will see. And they came, therefore, and saw where he was staying. And they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak. Now, this is important. Because that day they had heard John the Baptist as Jesus passed by. And John the Baptist said this, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I want you to know something else. In your daily conversation, if you just mention Jesus, if Jesus just comes up, people are going to be curious about him. People are going to start looking for him. There's many times when you can do evangelism just out of your normal conversation. If you just say, well, thank God. Or if you say, well, you know, Jesus is so good to me. Or you, you just say, uh, I, I am so blessed. That will arouse in others a curiosity and a desire to seek after Christ. Just a simple thing. And so John was just talking about Jesus that day. And they heard him and they started looking for him. He says, one of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Now you all who, are, who have been this, in this for a while know Simon Peter to be the very one that Christ said on you, that is on the faith that you have declared, I'm going to build my church. Simon Peter was the strongest disciple there was. And he was the most radical presence in the, in, the, in, the, in the life and the immediate discipleship of Jesus. But he didn't come to Jesus first. His brother, who was kind of a shy, retiring guy, came to Jesus first. And the Bible says he found, he's talking about Andrew, he found first his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah which translated means Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. What's the best way you can love somebody? You can introduce them to the one who can love them like nobody else can love them. You can introduce them to the one who can give them eternal life. Now, we've got to realize something. 
everyone is lost. Please don't think that you're lost because you sin. You sin because you're lost. We're born into a world thinking the world ought to revolve around us. We're born into original sin. We, we, it's been that way since we are kicked out of the garden. And so we've got to assume that there will always be a piece missing in us until we find, until we find the one for whom we were made. We're lost. Now, some, a lot of times it doesn't feel like we're lost. I mean, you can't go up to someone and say, do you know you're lost? Because, because it don't feel... I, I heard a, a story one time about little Mary Moore, little girl. She was a very strong-willed girl, very independent girl, wonderful, sweet little girl. But, but she went to, to this uh, gathering with her mama. And uh, it was one of these big uh, convention-style deals. And, and uh, her mom turned just for a minute. Well, this kid just, you know, went in to hear the speaker. Sat down, perfectly at home. Well, her mother turned around. She wasn't there. Absolutely panicked, as, as any of us would. And she got a note to the MC, And the MC read the note, said, Mary Moore, if you're in this auditorium, please identify yourself. We know you're lost, and so please identify yourself. Nothing. No response. Well, they went on with the talk. So her mother runs up to the balcony, starts looking over this crowd, and spots this little kid. Goes down, sneaks in the row, says, Mary. She looks, hi, Mom. She said, why didn't you say something? Mary said, well, they were looking for Mary Moore who was lost. I'm not lost. I know right where I am. <laughs> you know what? That's the way with most of I'm not lost. Are you, I know where I am. I know what I'm doing. I know what my schedule is. What do you mean lost? See, most of the time it doesn't hit you until you're ready to go home. And you know you don't know the way. And you know the one that brought you here is the only one that knows the way. So, so many times it doesn't feel lost. You don't feel lost. But the status is we are all lost before we meet Christ. It, it's not something that just in the, middle of the, in the middle of our life we do something horribly wrong and then we're lost. I, I remember a, a, a football game when UCLA played Stanford. I love football. And UCLA played Stanford. And that, that year, UCLA was a powerhouse. I mean, they were just, and Stanford, bless their hearts, did not have a good team that year. And, and they, they just, UCLA just wiped up the field with these people. I mean, just marched up and down, marched up and down. The score was horrible. And after the game, the, the, the media, you know, of course, how sensitive they are, they, they come in, stick, stick a microphone right in front of the Stanford University coach's uh, mouth, and they say, Coach, that, was a, that must have been a very uh, tough game for you. W w at what point do you think it went really bad? What was the turning point of the game? And, and the Stanford coach just looked at him and said, uh, that would be right after the national anthem. <laughs> what was the turning point of our life? That would be right after we were born. It's a struggle from then on. I mean, you got happy times, you got sad times, but, but basically it is life just kind of beats you up. It just kind of beats you up. And so it's not something that, that we make a mistake or we sin more than someone else. Our status is 
that we're lost. And we're lost because we are separated from the one for whom we were made. That's what being lost is. By the way, that is the premonition of hell. It is separation from the one. Some of you have a little bit of what that's like. Some of you know what it's like to live without, right now, the one who loves you or loved you like nobody else loved you. Some of you have a grandmother or a grandfather who have gone on before you. And you know what? You would give anything to talk with them again, especially some days, because nobody loved you like they loved you. Some of you had a, have a mom or a dad like that, that you'd just give anything to be with them. Because nobody loved you like they loved you. Some of you have a brother, a sister, a best friend. Some of you even have children that loved you like crazy. And they've gone on. And you know what it's like to live without them. Well, think of that in eternal terms. You see, all of us were made to live with Christ. All of us were made to know this kind of love that is absolutely fulfilling, that is absolutely satisfying. But how many people miss that in little ways every day? And even when they're not conscious that they miss it, they still live with, with this something's not there feeling inside of them. Well, the wonderful thing is that he has given us a very simple way to have that love, not just when we die, but right now. But there's also a wonderful truth that reassures us that when we die, we are going to heaven. Now, I've heard people say, what is the right reason for wanting to go to heaven? My question is this, is there any wrong reason for wanting to go to heaven? I mean, let's, let's, let's speak very plainly here. You got, you got a choice here when you die. Going to heaven, going to hell. Which do you want to choose? This is not rocket science. This is not, this, this is, this is, you know, I, I, this is just simple stuff. And, and, and why should we want, well, the, some people say, well, I just don't want to go to hell. Good reason. That's a terrific reason. You shouldn't want to go to hell. I'm scared of hell. Good reason. You ought to be. It's okay. That, that's not the fullness of Christian maturity. You don't need the fullness of Christian maturity to get saved. My wife got saved just because she didn't want to go to hell. She went to church camp uh, when she was 12 years old, and they had this fire and brimstone preacher. And man, she just first, she just found out about what that was like. And, and then she went and slept in her bunk, and, and, she, and she saw the reflection of the fire, the campfire on her window. And she said... Don't want that. <laughs> Don't want that. Well, that's smart to me. That's very intelligent. Now, it wasn't until years later that she understood that Christ came, that she might have life and have it abundantly, that Christ came to give her joy and the fullness of joy. It wasn't until years later. But was that a legitimate salvation experience? You bet it was. It's okay to get saved because you don't want to go to hell. It's okay to get saved because you want to go to heaven. 
Well, that's very shallow. No, it's not. It's very smart. Of course you do. It's okay to get saved because you know it's right. There are some people who are not, not very emotional about this thing at all. But they look and they have studied the Word and they have said, this book's true. It makes perfect sense. Therefore, I'm going to give my life to Christ because it's the right thing to do. That's, that's okay. It's okay to get saved because you don't want to carry around the guilt anymore. You know what? Many, many folks, most of us, if not all of us, have done something so horrible that it haunts us. It haunts us. And it's okay to say, I don't want to live with that anymore. I want the forgiveness that only Christ can give me. And I certainly don't want to live with it forever. I want a clean conscience. Is that a good reason for getting saved? Of course it is. It's okay to get saved because your life will never go right until you do. Your life's not working. It's kind of, it's kind of just not working. And, you, and nothing you can do can get it to go right, to, to work. Is that a good reason to get saved? <laughs> Absolutely. It's okay to get saved because you want the absolute certainty that you will live forever with people that you love that loved Christ. That's okay. I remember a story about George Truett, one of the premier preachers of the, of the last century. And he was, he was preaching a sermon and gave an altar call at the end, which we're going to do tonight. And he, and, he, and he just invited people to come and, and make sure of, of their salvation in Jesus Christ. And throughout the message, he was, he was looking, and there was, a, there was a teenage daughter sitting with her dad. And, and, and so when he gave that invitation, she started to come down the aisle. But the whole time she was coming down, she was looking back, and her dad was just sitting. Finally, she came down, and she just sat in, Instead of coming to the steps, she came and she sat in one of the chairs. And, and after people were up there, uh, Dr. Truett said, because he just knew instinctively what was going on, she, he said, you know, there's some unfinished business here. I'm just going to wait for a minute. And he just stood silent. And she got up and she went back and she talked with her dad. And then both of them came down. Now, he didn't know what was going on, but after the service, someone who knew him and was sitting behind them, came to him and said, Dr. Truett, would you like to know what happened there? He said, yeah, I really would. They said, this girl, apparently their, her mom had just died that year. And this girl came back and said, Papa, we promised Mom that we would be with her someday. And I want to settle it tonight. I want to settle it for me, and I want you to settle it for you. And the dad said, yeah. It's okay to want to settle it, to never have to want to worry about it again. It's good. It's good. There are no bad reasons for wanting to go to heaven, for wanting to live like heaven while you're on earth instead of living like hell. There are no bad reasons. So therefore, let's talk about very practically 
How do you, how do you let someone experience that kind of love? How do you lead them? How do you, how do you see if there's a willingness that you can very naturally and very easily and very plainly say, here's all you got to do, because it's, it's very simple. First of all, it really helps if they start inquiring about spiritual things to tell people your testimony, how you came to Christ in a very brief fashion. Don't wax on and on about it, but just in a very brief fashion. You know why? Because people can argue Scripture, and people can argue religious opinion, and people can argue uh, religious arguments and logic and everything else, but nobody can argue what you've experienced in your life. There are no arguing points there. And so just to be able to, as a point of demonstration, say, this is how, this is how it happened with me, is a very wonderful thing. And, and that, that, that has a point of, look, it usually is, is, is a very, the caricature uh, of most of our lives before we come to Christ is in, in Jeremiah uh, chapter 2, verse 13. And that verse simply says this, They have forsaken me, this is the Lord, the fountain of living waters. That's what Christ is. Remember what Jesus said? He says, it says, He who comes to me shall never thirst again. To hew for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Most of our lives, I know my life before I came to Christ, I was absolute renegade. I was just, I was just a reprobate. I tried every form of sin, now, I never did try drugs because, because back in my age, they weren't all that readily available. But I probably would have if they had come along because I was just trying everything to fill up the emptiness because, because everything I tried was so short-lived in happiness. And every, every form of self-satisfaction lasted such a short time. It was like a cistern where the water just ran out. And so... When I was growing up, I heard in church one time. Now, I went to First Church. First Church was a formal church where people wore pinstripes in their suits and ladies wore fruit on their hats. And it was very, <laughs> I mean, lace and formal. And so the preacher spoke in long words that I didn't understand. But something got into that preacher one day. And he started using words I could understand, like sin and hell and you. I can understand that. I can understand that. And then he said something I will never forget as long as I live, and therefore I'm going to say it to you. He said, nothing will ever come right in your life until you deal with your sin. Man. Well, I wanted to go forward that day. That was the only time in first church I can ever remember having an altar call, and nobody went. You could cut the, you could cut the tension with a knife. He never tried that again. But when I got to high University, and it was the middle of the 60s, my hair was down my back, and I was rebelling and demonstrating that the mashed potatoes were lumpy, we hit the streets. <laughs> I was against everything until I started listening to all of our verbiage and discovered we were as self-centered as the establishment was. All we wanted was what was for us, and that's what they were saying. And then my hero started getting killed. And when Dr. Martin Luther King got shot, he was my hero. When he got shot, 
Man, I said, there's no hope in this political stuff. Politics is not our answer. We're never going to be able to reform this country. What is that? And then the words of Dr. Shoemaker came back to me. Nothing's ever going to come right in your life, Hunter, until you deal with your sin. And I knelt down and I said, Jesus, you're the one that deals with my sin. And that was that. I didn't even know the right prayer to pray, but that was that. And afterwards, I tell you what, life has not been easy. Because you know what? When you get saved, you're a threat to the other side. You know that? As long as you're lost, you're no threat to the other side. I mean, you just have a fairly normal thing. You may even have an easy life. Once you get saved, watch out, buddy. Because you're a threat. But you, you know what? Life with Christ. I was listening to a song on the way up here. Z88. If God be for us, who can be against us? We're more than conquerors. Come on now. You know what I'm saying? Listen, it's like, it's like kisses. It's like getting saved is like kisses. Good kisses are great. And bad kisses, still pretty good. You know? When life is good, it's great. When it's bad, it's still pretty good. Because we're walking with the Lord. And the Lord will make it come out right. All things work together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So, so here's the deal. How do you lead somebody? Well, when you, when you tell your testimony, then you say, are you interested? Would you like to have that kind of relationship? And then if they say, well, tell me what it takes. Then you open your Bible and you keep a Bible <laughs> One without dust. <laughs> Keep a Bible, because if you can use Scripture, you don't have to use a Bible, but if you can use Scripture, it gives them something to go back to so they can read it again for themselves. Because we're not saved on the basis or the authority of our feelings or our opinions or what we think about God. We're saved on the basis of, what, of the authority of what Scripture says. And so you get, before you leave here tonight, get one of these bookmarks. They're back at the information table. They're in the bookstore. We're going to keep a steady supply of these. And I want you to take this bookmark and put it in the third chapter of Romans in your Bible. All right? Put it in the third chapter of Romans in your Bible because that's where you start. And, and there are no formulas for this, but we'll just, take, we'll just take one way you can do this called the Romans Road. And you say, we got a problem. The first thing you got to do is you got to confess that you're separated from God. That you're, that you're a sinner. It says, For all have sinned. Romans 3.23 For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Can you agree with that? Now, if they won't agree with that, if they say, No, I've never sinned, then that ends the conversation. <laughs> say, Well, God bless you. I've always wanted to meet somebody. No, don't get sarcastic. <laughs> That'll blow it. Just say, God bless you. That's, that's great. And then just close it up. <laughs> but most people, listen, most people really, if they're really investigating, will go that far with you. I mean, I, I mean, I hope that we get to the place where we can say, the problem is not El Nino. <laughs> Everybody's blaming everything on El Nino, you know? My car looks awful. El Nino, you know? The problem is sin. The problem is, 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 is we try and do everything our own way. That's the problem. 
All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And then there is a consequence for that sin. And it's Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin is death. Now, death here is not physical extermination. When God said to Adam in the, in, in the Garden of Eden, the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. He did not become physically exterminated. But he did become separated from God that day. And sin had its effect. He started putting barriers in between him and God. And that's exactly what sin does. And so death is separation from God. The wages of sin is separation, death. But the free gift of God. Here's the good news. This is not something we earn. Everybody thinks I've got to be good enough. You can never be good enough. I mean, what are you going to be good enough with? You already, we already owe everything to God. This is what kills me. People want to pay for their own sins. What are you going to pay with? I mean, you say, well, I'll be better. Well, you already owe that. So how do you make up the shortfall here? We're in debt. What do we, we got nothing to pay with. This is a free gift. And, you, and, there, and, and by the way, you don't have to believe enough. Somebody came up Saturday and said, how, I, I, I just, how, I, I don't know that I believe enough. And they had, they, they, they grew up in a church that made them uh, think that they had to be good enough. Their behavior had to be right. Well, they had known enough of God's grace, which is unmerited mercy, to pitch that idea, but now they were on the thing they had to believe enough. Their faith had to be strong all the time. Now listen, the Bible says it's not how much faith you have. The Bible says that if you have faith as much as a grain of mustard seed, you can move a mountain. How much, do you think, how much faith do you think it takes to get saved? Not as much as it takes to move a mountain. Not when the Father himself is the one who wants to save you, and it's his action. That's the point. It's God's action. It just simply takes acceptance. It just simply says, I want, I want the gift. Thanks. The free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Now that, that gift did cost. Turn to uh, uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 8. This is how he accomplished the gift. God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. If the wages of sin is death, somebody's got to die. Now, Jesus who was God in human form, paid the price. Well, somebody says, well, why doesn't God just forgive us? Just say, okay, you're forgiven. Because God is holy as well as merciful. And a holy God has to have things come out right. A holy God is a good God, and a good God sees that the equation balances he doesn't just wink his eye at sin. Sin's the most destructive force in the world. If you had cancer and you went to a doctor and the doctor said, don't worry about it, that'd be a nice doctor, but it wouldn't be a good doctor, would it? You run away from that doctor. I know people who believe in God who just see this is a pudgy little Santa Claus guy who everything they do, don't worry about it. I'm very understanding. That's a nice God. That's not a good God. That's not the real God. That's not the just God. Somebody's got to pay this. And if we can't pay it, who pays it? Jesus Christ pays it. And when we put ourselves 
under His sacrificial blood. The Bible says we're justified. It's, it's justified, never sinned. That's what that word means. The Bible says in, verse, in chapter 10, verses, uh, Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart God raised Him from the dead, we will be saved. It's that simple. It's that simple. For it's with the heart that man believes and is justified. And it's with the mouth that he confesses and is saved. Now let me tell you why it's important to say, to confess God verbally. When the Bible talks about the creation, the words of God, the speaking of God, made something come about that was never there before. That's how he created the world. It says, and God said... Let there be, and there was. And God said, let there be, and there was. So from the very beginning, God has used words to establish something that was not there before. And so it's important that people be able to pray. And they confess that they're sinners. And they acknowledge that Christ died for their sin. And, and that, that that death is a gift to pay for our sins. And we accept that death. And then they express confidence. The Bible says you will be saved. They express confidence that once that is said and once it is met, it is done. And it is God who has done it, not us. And therefore, it's not dependent on us. It says in John chapter 10, verse 28, that, that Jesus says, look, <clears throat> people, nobody comes to me but, by the, but the Father draws him. People say, when do I know if I'm ready to be saved? Whenever you have the inclination, I want you to know that's God drawing you. There's nothing in the natural man that wants to give his life to anybody or wants to give up control to anybody. But when you start to think, you know, I really would like for God to have control of my life. I really would like to have His righteousness. I really would like to live like He wants me to instead of just live my own life. I want to tell you that's the Holy Spirit. And that's, that's the time. Whenever you have the inclination, that's the Holy Spirit drawing you. And so, so there is something established and it's secure. Jesus said, God's given them to me and no one will snatch them out of my hand. It's done. You don't have to get resaved every time you sin. It's done. You don't have to try. It's done. When you say to somebody, are you a Christian? And they say, well, I'm trying. They haven't quite got the picture. When you ask them, are you a son or a daughter? Do they say, I'm trying. If they are, they haven't quite got the picture. You either are or you're not. If they say, are you married? Well, I'm trying. <laughs> no, you either are, you either said I do or you didn't say, are you, are you married? That is a state that is established. And so you can be a good Christian or a lousy Christian, but you're a Christian or you're not a Christian. You see? And so it's established. And once you are, you're a son and daughter of God. And that ranks above everything. I remember hearing a story about Teddy Roosevelt Jr. What time is it? Okay. Well, I, hear, <clears throat> I got a couple more minutes. I hear a story about Teddy Roosevelt Jr. Do you know he was a brigadier general? And, 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 and one time in the, in the Second World War, uh, 
they were, they, were, they were waiting to get on an army plane, going someplace, and he heard this, this soldier, this little corporal guy, pleading with the clerk at the, at the counter saying, I've got to get on this plane. I've just been called to the front lines. I've only got a couple of days. This plane is going near my mother. I'll never see my mother uh, before I go overseas if I don't get on this plane. And the clerk kept saying, well, it's full. And, 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 and Teddy Roosevelt Jr. goes up to the counter and said, he can have my seat. And, and, and an officer by Roosevelt grabbed his arm said, don't do that. This is a matter of rank. And Roosevelt looked at the officer and said, you're right. This is a matter of rank. He's a son. I'm only a general. You see, in the kingdom, a son ranks higher than anything. A daughter ranks higher than anything. And once you say those words and once somebody makes that commitment, they're a son or a daughter. No matter how the rest of the world ranks them, they're a son or a daughter. And that is secure. Now let me tell you how, what a great privilege it is to be an Andrew in this life and to lead someone else to Jesus Christ because God doesn't just save us for us. Oh, He would. But He saves us to be a blessing to others that He's calling too. And you know what? We've got, we got to be honest about this. If we really think that Jesus Christ is the answer and we really love somebody... And that's what's going to happen. When you start working, but how many of you know, don't raise your hands, pagans that you're just crazy about? I mean, they're the most fun. They're the most, absolutely the dearest, most loving, absolutely terrific people. And you're crazy about them. Don't you want to make sure to give them every chance to live forever with God? And if, and if you don't, won't they wonder about you? I was flipping through channels of, uh, last Thursday night and came across Seinfeld. I don't know how you ever watched Seinfeld, but, the, but, but there's, a, there's a, a character, Elaine, on this uh, show. And she goes with a guy by the name of uh, Putty. <laughs> Putty is the guy's name. And they're hilarious. Well, she, but last Thursday night, the show was about... Uh, she had gotten, she had borrowed his Putty's car, and Putty had all these Christian stations on the radio. Well, scared the bejeebers out of him. She didn't know him. He was a Christian. He had a little fish on the back of his car. Well, so she said, are you religious? He said, yeah. Oh, yeah. Now, turns out he wasn't living like it, but, but that, and so the thing goes on, and, and, uh, and uh, she doesn't get her paper one morning, and, and uh, so Putty just says, well, why don't you just take the neighbor's paper? And she said, why don't, you, why don't you take the neighbor's paper? He says, oh, I can't. I'm a Christian. Thou shalt not steal. <laughs> and then she says, well, why would I take the neighbor's paper? He says, well, you're going to hell anyhow. It doesn't matter with you. <laughs> and then she got all honked off. She said, well, if you believe this stuff, why aren't you trying to save me? There's the question. If you believe this stuff, people are going to wonder, why aren't you telling me? If it's really true, why aren't you telling me? Don't you love me that much? So here is the bottom line. You can be whole in this life without being complete. There's a difference. When you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you're whole. 
You're whole. There's nothing else you'll ever need. But you're not really complete until you love like he loves. And he would never go any place for himself. He would always want others to have what he has. And so that's our job. That's our job. Pray with me. God, thanks that you have given us a very clear way to establish the fact that we are going to live with you forever. And thank you so much that you have given all of us the privilege of being able to share that with somebody else and and let them have the absolute certainty that they will live forever with you in heaven and with all of those who are living with you. God, thank you for the honor of being able to give the most precious gift in the world, not through what we have done, but through what you have done. Help us, Lord, to do just that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.